I just want to welcome you and I want to say you're all brave people. I know how grief can affect us and I know when I was in that stage of the trenches of grief, um, it's sometimes hard to commit to things because you don't know how you're going to be doing that particular day. So I appreciate you being here and people have different losses that are here and I want to just honor where your heart is and whatever it is that you're dealing with. Um, it's probably different for each and every each and every one of you, but a little bit of background about me. I'm a native of Kerrville, Texas. I've lived in Texas all my life. I've been in ministry and still am in ministry. I have a ministry to, to people in grief and lead a community Bible study. I've been in social work for several decades, a business owner, an educator, a wife, a mother, grandmother, a widow, a caregiver, and a writer and a speaker. So, you know, a lot of what I'm going to share with you is from those experiences in my life. And I want to be transparent with you um, and just share some of the, the good, but the things that helped me move forward. In your packet that you received today, you do have some newspaper articles and you do have places to take notes. Different things are going to resonate with different people. And I know if I write it down, I'm more likely to remember something. So feel free to take notes. And if you don't want to, that's fine too. There's not going to be a test on this. Um, there's questions back there for processing. And these questions are designed to just help you think and help you reflect and help you move forward. Um, each one of you should have gotten a copy of the book. I'm happy to sign those at the end and happy to pray with anybody. And then my cards are back there. My contact information is back there. And I do um, minister to people and I'm happy to visit with you on the phone or meet with you um, and just help you in that way. So grief and sudden change are going to be a part of life here on earth. They just are. They, it's a part of a fallen world that we live in. And yet grief is not anybody, anything anybody signs up for. Nobody signs up for grief. It like hits at your door, it comes barging in, you're trying to figure out where to go, what to do next in your life. And it's often unannounced. Sometimes we know it could be coming and sometimes we don't. But what I can tell you is when it's embraced, it can be one of your best teachers. And that's what I have seen in my life. No, I wouldn't have signed up for grief, but when we process it and we don't run from it, it really can be one of your best teachers. And it makes a big difference in your life, how you process. Um, me, many people don't want to talk about it. They think if they just don't talk about it, then maybe it really didn't happen. 
And I know I grew up in a family, um, I had a good family, but one of the things my um, sweet dad used to say was, suck it up, be tough, you're a Jones. And so I was taught to just stuff all my emotions um, as, a, as a child. And even in junior high, I remember coming home and um, my friends and I had gone to a different lunch and we sat at the wrong table and this group of girls, that that was their territory, um, they came up and said, get, uh, get up and move. And I just looked at them and I said, well, we were here first, you know, we were sitting here, but you can join us. And the girl hit me. <laughs> I was like, what in the world? Um, and I went home and told my dad, and he was like, suck it up, be tough, you're a Jones. So that was what I learned growing up. And that worked until I got into my mid-30s. And a series of events happened back to back to where I could not suck it up and be tough. And by that time, my name wasn't Jones. And I began to really learn about grief and the importance of grieving a disappointment, a change, or a loss. So today we're going to talk about it. And um, I have had numerous losses in my life. Um, and personally, I'm the type of person that I don't want to waste time. So when grief began to show up um, on my doorstep, one of my prayers was, Lord, I don't want to waste this pain. I don't want to waste it. I want you to work things in me and work things out of me. And life just isn't fair. I know there's so many questions with what is going on in Uvalde. Why Uvalde? Why here? Why now? Why did this happen? Why did it happen to this child and not that child? Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of, of things that aren't fair in life. They just aren't. But I found a neat scripture this morning. And I am going to share some scriptures with you because... Part of my testimony is this is who God was when things did not work out the way I wanted or the way I prayed. And I found this scripture in Psalm 34, verse 19, and this is out of the Passion Translation. And it says, Even when bad things happen to the good and godly ones, the Lord will give them and not let them be defeated. The Lord will save them. Sorry. So the Lord will save them. I'm going to read that again. Even when bad things happen to the good and godly ones, the Lord will save them and not let them be defeated. And you may feel defeated right now, and that's okay. That's where your heart is. But this is such a powerful promise for us. And it also says in Psalm 38, verse 34, verse 18, the Lord is close to those who are crushed by pain, or the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And so I want to encourage you with that. And there's no right or wrong way to grieve. Um, you're gonna, people are going to be on different timelines. I think we might feel like, We've already done it when we really haven't at times. And then there are those times then where it might take some people a little longer 
then it takes others. I know in my own journey of losing my, my um, late husband, I was widowed at, at 49. Um, I went through the process pretty much immediately. I, number one, I knew a, a, about it. But number two, my kids were all gone. And all of a sudden, it was the first time in my entire life that I was living alone. I had lived with my mom and dad. I had a roommate in college. I got married. I had three kids. And all of them were gone. And that's just shortly after our last one started at UT that, uh, that my husband passed away. And so I was face to face and had a lot of time to, to grieve. But for my children, it wasn't until on down the road. And I'll share a little bit more about that later. The goldenite is for you to walk away with tools in your tool belt of life. And we're going to learn, we're going to talk about what grief is, how it affects us, the challenges, the benefits, but how to partner with the process and heal. And another goal that I have is to unravel any lies that you might have believed about the process and another layer of healing come and that you truly learn to thrive and that this can be a stepping stone wherever you find yourself. Thrive means to, to grow vigorously or to develop vigorously. And when my husband was diagnosed, he had a rare cancer that um, two in a million get. So it was very rare. It was advanced stage three when we discovered it. And he immediately was doing, they sent us down to MD Anderson and he started these 10 hour chemo treatments. And I'd been in there about eight hours and I was like, Honey, I need to take a break. I'm going to go walk around the block. And so as I was walking around the block and just thinking about what was happening in my life, and, you know, we were praying, we were believing, and I was just walking around the block. And I said, Lord, you know, I see Joe in a win-win situation. Either you heal him and we have a great testimony, or you take him home and he's with you, but I'm left here to pick up the pieces, and that doesn't seem fair. But I know you love me, and I know you're with me, but it just doesn't seem fair. And the Holy Spirit just spoke ever so softly to me as I walked around that block, and he said, I will either heal Joe or I'll heal your broken heart. And so that's what I clung to once my husband was gone. And I had written that down in a journal or and I had written that down in my journal, what I thought I heard God say. And um, the big question, though, when we find ourselves in that place, before I go to the question, I want to give that to you because we're going to talk about some scriptures, how the Lord does heal the brokenhearted when we partner with him. But each of us have a choice. In that I gave you this scripture in Psalm 34 18 that says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and the big question when we find that we've lost a loved one we've had a huge change in our life or a huge disappointment in our life 
or our dreams shattered is what are you going to do with the grief process? And you know, when we take responsibilities for our choices, then we take our power back. And what I mean by that is what I have discovered is Joe got cancer and he was gone. I didn't cause the cancer. I didn't do anything. Um, and at first I kind of, I felt like a victim. But God showed me that I had a God-given right to be healed. And I had a God-given right to overcome in the adversity. And I hung on to that. I had choices. So in that place was where I said, I don't want to waste this pain. Don't, Lord, work things in me and out me and keep me moving through the process. And so you might write that down. Lord, keep me moving through the process of grief. Because for me, I didn't want to get stuck. I didn't want to be bitter. I didn't want to be, I knew plenty of people that had had losses, sudden change, and they had become bitter and angry people. And that was not what I wanted my life to be about. Many in the Bible, if you study it, had their plans hijacked and lost loved ones. Had their plans changed? Job, for one, Job lost his entire family. David lost a son. David and Bathsheba lost a son. Mary, the mother of Jesus, watched her own son hang on the cross. So there's many, if you, if you look in there, and I begin to quickly see, oh, I'm not, I, this isn't just why this is happening to me it's happened to many that have gone before me and are really well noted and talked about a lot these days so what see if i can do this what is grief what is grief well it's the process of letting go you may want to write this down the process of letting go saying goodbye to a person or season in our lives and moving on to what God has for us. It's the process of letting go, saying goodbye to a person or season in our lives and moving on to what God has for us. Not long after I lost my husband, I read Psalm 23, verse 4, which is common, I think, in, um, especially at memorial services. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and staff, they comfort me. And that's a scripture that's read often. The 23rd Psalm is, is something that's read often. But all of a sudden, that word through jumped out at me like it was in big, red, bold letters. I thought, I looked at it, and I looked at it again. I thought, I bet I've read this scripture, you know, 50, 60, 70 times in my lifetime. But when I saw the word through, it gave me hope. And I wrote scriptures down so I wasn't fumbling around and taking time finding them. But if you go and look in my Bible, 
the word through is circled three or four times in there because I saw that grief was not, and my pain, my heart being broken was not my destination. It was just part of the, part of the journey. And so I began to pray, Lord, what do I need to let go of today? Um, you know, anticipatory grief, and some people don't know what that is. But I want to talk about that now because anticipatory grief can hit you at all stages in your grieving process. We can grieve sometimes ahead of schedule. My mom was diagnosed actually several years before my late husband with a rare autoimmune disease. And all of a sudden, mother, as I knew her, being my mom, being the you know, woman you call and and you know hey mom can you help me hey mom can you babysit hey mom can you pray my mom suddenly at 65 got an autoimmune disease that was in her brain and so mom as i knew her was gone and all of a sudden i became the mom because i had to go to her doctor's appointments take care of overseeing her caregivers all of that and I remember one day a lady, one of my volunteers, I was director of the Christian Women's Job Corps at the time, and she walked in. She said, Kathleen, how are you doing? And I said, I'm not really doing well. I said, I was just sitting here thinking, I don't know that my heart can take it. It's already so torn watching my mother slowly slip away and suffer that when she's really gone, I, I, you know, I was just like, how on earth would I handle that? And the lady looked at me and she said, Kathleen, take heart because you're grieving in installments. And she said, you're already grieving. You're already letting go now. And it doesn't mean you're not going to cry when your mom is gone. But I did see that and it was true once I lost mom. But you can be experiencing anticipatory grief when it's coming up maybe on the anniversary of when your child was born, the anniversary of when they died, the anniversary, you know, for us here in Uvalde. I know that the month or so prior to May 24th next year is going to be a tough year for our community because there's going to be anticipatory grief. Now, you're not going to, people aren't going to wake up one day and say, okay, I'm going to have anticipatory grief. But your heart knows. Your heart knows. You may not cognitively be thinking about it, but even as you approach those special times, a birthday, an anniversary, it's in your subconscious. It's in your subconsciousness. So be aware of that. I know I had lost a baby and I had... Um, lost it in utero and this has been that child would have been um, 26 now and even I think it was last year in August I remember one day sitting down and I was like what is wrong with me I just I'm not myself I'm, I feel down. I almost feel depressed and I don't have anything really to, you know, I was thinking and thinking and all of a sudden it hit me. It was the anniversary, coming up on the anniversary of the day I had lost that baby. 
And so you might find yourself in those places. And I want to make you aware when you do, step back. And it can be an aha thing. You can say, okay, this is what it is. This is what it is. And then we can embrace. And we're going to talk about letting go and embracing a little more. But I want to talk about anticipatory grief. The one thing when my mom got sick, I remember talking to a man that was a pastor, a good friend of my, my parents, and my, um, I was talking to him. I said, I don't understand why. Why my mom? Why me? Why now? I just had stepped into full-time ministry. Why? I had all these questions. And the, his name was Frank. He so kindly, he said, Kathleen, the big question is, can you trust God if you never get the answer? And I said, I don't know, Frank, I'm going to have to get back to you on that. I wasn't going to lie to him. I needed to really think about that. And a lot of times we're not going to get an answer to the why question here on earth. We're just not. And, and that can be sometimes hard. But what I began to pray, like I said, was, Lord, what? The why question can keep you stuck. It can. Why did this happen to you, Valdi? Why did it happen to children? What, you know, all of those things. And when we focus on that, it can keep us stuck. That was my mom and my daughter. And um, so let's talk about the types of grief. We obvious, the obvious, someone dies, our spouse, our parent, our child, our grandparent, a friend. And this can be anticipated or not. But I will say, watching someone I love suffer, which was my mom and my late husband, watching somebody you love suffer and not being able to fix it, is one of the hardest things I've ever done. And there was grieving in that process with, like I said, with my mom. Other people, it's sudden. Other people, it's sudden. And you have no time to prepare. It's like one phone call can change your life. And that's hard too, because it's so abrupt. It's so abrupt. Grief can be, another kind of grief can be moving to another place. Um, when you move, you're letting go of your, your acquaintances, your job, your close friend. And I know we moved at one point from Kerrville. We moved, my husband, late husband got a job in uh, Bastrop and we moved over there. And I was just like, you know, my heart just sunk. And we wanted to move. It was a choice we made for our family. But I got there, and I miss my friends. I miss walking in Walmart and running into people I know. I missed just my comfort stuff, you know, that you just get used to when you live in the same place for a long time. So that's another kind of grief. When your kids leave home, that can be a grief. I know with my children, as they were leaving, like their senior year in school, I seemed to, you know, cry at the last volleyball game and cry at the last tennis tournament and those things because it was the end of 
a season that I had enjoyed. And actually, when the kids actually went to college, yeah, I cried that day, but it, I had really kind of dealt, done some of the grieving as I went along. So that can be something, a major, major change or season in our lives. Um, selling, selling a business. When I sold my business, I had done that for a long time. It was part of my identity. And, and I was a gymnastics coach. I owned my own business. And when I sold it, it was, a, it was a switch. Even though I chose to sell it in order to spend more time with my own children, it was a major change and a grief came. You know, Uvalde has forever been changed by May 24th. It's a grief to many people, and my husband grew up here. This has been his hometown. And, you know, one of the things, as things began to happen in the days after that, and I could just see the, the struggle in his heart, I looked at him and I said, Stephen, Uvalde as you knew it, is gonna forever be different. It is. It's been known as a good old boy town. Um, you know, one man that wasn't well made some wrong decisions that cost a lot of people a lot of things. But that's a sudden change. That's a huge disappointment. And people don't think about processing their disappointments. And even the little ones, I think we need to take to the Lord. But I do feel, and this is my prayer, that as a community we'll come together and we'll heal, and it will be even better in some form or fashion, but it's gonna look different. And different's not wrong, it's just different. And you might have to write that down. Different isn't wrong, it's just different. <clears throat> the death of a dream, that's another type of grief. My husband and I, late husband and I married early. I was 19, he was 22. So we kind of grew up together, and we talked about our, um, our oldest son was born a year and a half after we were married, and which wasn't part of our five-year plan, but it happened. <laughs> and so here we go. Okay, we're going to be parents earlier. And so for years we talked about, but one day we're going to have, we're going to have a little more money, hopefully when we're older. Our kids are going to be gone. And we often talked about the second honeymoon that we were going to have. And so when he got sick, the fresh, my, my youngest son's freshman year in college, and all of a sudden, you know, we, it was a, we'd raised our kids to be independent, self-sufficient. But it was a, all of a sudden, our honeymoon season looked different because we were driving back and forth to MD Anderson. That's a death of a dream. I have another dear friend that struggled with infertility. She's never able to conceive. And we were talking not too long ago, and she's my age, a little bit younger, and she, we were talking about grief, and she said, you know, I find myself even having waves of grief now. She said, because all my friends are posting pictures of their grandkids, and I don't have any grandkids. To post pictures of and I had never thought about that I had another friend that went through infertility and she actually is the one that taught me a lot about the grief process because she had to die to the dream 
of having children. And I never thought about it even lingering years later, you know, to when this woman would be a grandmother. Losing a pet. Some people's pets are part of their family. And if you have a pet that's like part of your family, there can be a grief when that pet's gone. I am not a dog person, but after my late husband was gone, we had a dog. He was a dog person. The dog was an outside dog. And after about two weeks after he was gone, maybe three, because I went away right after with my oldest son, I looked at that dog and I said, Maggie, come inside. Something else has to breathe in this house besides me. It was way too quiet. You know, just hearing panning was, a, you know, it made me happy. And so that dog became an indoor dog. And she would sit right beside me when, on the nights that I would cry. She was very sensitive. It was interesting because she, she kind of became my shadow. And even, you know, when um, I remember when I married Stephen, uh, which I have been remarried now 10 years, and I remember when I married Stephen, and we, were, we, we came home from our honeymoon, and he crawls into bed. Maggie's kind of like, what is going on? You know, she stayed in the room. She didn't normally sleep with me, but she did that night. You know, she was like on guard. It was funny. So when Maggie died two years ago in October, it was a hard loss for me because she had been my little shadow in some of the darkest days of my life. Um, I have two grandsons and that have special needs. And I know they are adorable. I do have pictures in case you want to see. But um, my, one of them was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at age 2. And I saw just my daughter and her family struggle because all of a sudden life suddenly changed. They hadn't signed up for that. All of a sudden there was, you know, just a whole lot of changes. And it was a, it was a grief because in her mind she was thinking, even though she does, and Truett's happy and he does all sorts of things now, but it's a whole lot to, to manage on a different level. It changed them in different ways. And then my other grandson um, has Down syndrome and we didn't know about it till he got here. And it was an adjustment because, you know, as a parent, my daughter-in-law described it. She said, it's like we dreamed of the child we were going to have. And so they had to grieve the child that they thought they were going to have, but have gone on, of course, to love and embrace. And none of us would trade our little Grant for anything because he is so, he's so adorable. But that can be. You can have a death of a dream. Um, another kind of grief is a loss of a job or a loss of vocation or a loss of your financial security. Um, and then in my years in social work, as I talked about grief, I saw people that had been, many of the women I had worked with, they were raped or molested. And all of a sudden, for the first time in their life, they were... I saw the same symptoms, grief symptoms in them because something valuable was taken from them. Something valuable was taken from them. But as they embraced that, there began to be healing. Or a marriage falls apart. 
or divorce or a friendship. Have you ever had a friendship fall apart? All of a sudden there's a blow up or something happens. I mean, I saw friends separated with COVID. You know, different points of views and people, you know, there were friendships lost. And those things, I think, those things um, are just different kinds of grief that people don't think about. They just don't think about. And so maybe this has, has triggered some things that you're like, eh, maybe I ought to go back and process that and think about this. So what are the stages of grief? They're different books with different stages. I'm going to just keep it real simple for you. But there's that denial, the shock. You know, we know it's happened or it will happen, but we just don't want to deal with it because it isn't time. And I think the first six weeks after a loss, that water's hot. The first six weeks, there's almost like a cushion around you. I know there was for me. And after about six weeks, eight weeks, all of a sudden, you know, there was just more of an embracing. And I think in some ways this is God's provision. It just, he just surrounds us in a way. And we're going through the motions. When my husband passed away, there were so many things I was having to deal with. And then even right after he was gone, things I was having to deal with. But then a couple of months down the road, you know, there was just really more of a, a real embracing. Yeah, I cried every day. But there was more of a reality that began to set in. But I think people, what I have run into, I was talking to a widow that I knew in Kerrville not too long ago. And I said, I'm so sorry, I wasn't able to make your husband's service. Um, I was out of town and... I said, you know, how, how are, tell me about the service. And she's like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about him. And so I was like, okay. And what that let me know, is, and I wanted to honor her heart exactly where it was, but she is really struggling with some denial of what happened. And she went on in the conversation to say, I've gotten so many cards, I haven't opened a one envelope. She didn't want to deal with having to embrace the pain of that. And I mentioned something. I said, well, I'll, I don't have a book with me, but I'll get you one of my books. And she said, I, that's when she told me about the cards. She said, I've got so many, you know, and that's okay. That's where her heart was. That's where they've been married a, a long time. And then there's the anger stage. And that doesn't mean you're not going to go in and out of all of these um, there's the anger, the frustration, the blaming, the questioning, mad at the world or mad at the person for leaving you, mad the situation happened, and mad that you have to deal with it. And then sometimes we can be mad at ourselves. If I had only done this, if I had only done that, uh, if I had only, you know, we can be mad at ourselves. I remember one evening, one night, I had gotten on the, I was on the phone. Oh, goodness. That went the wrong way. I had um, gotten um, 
off the phone. I'd had a two-hour conversation, and I was having my husband handled all the finances and that. But I was having to do stuff he normally did. He was an investment officer, um, banker, and I was having to do stuff that he normally handled. And I'd had a two-hour conversation after work trying to figure out what to do with stuff. I felt way in, you know, way over my head. And I got off that phone, and there was a plate right by where I was, and I picked up that plate and I threw it all the way across the room and it shattered and just the noise of it shattering it it startled me and then I was like oh my word what did I just do and I broke down and sobbed but I had I was like what on earth is wrong with me and what I just realized is I was mad at him for leaving me even though he had no choice I was mad I had to deal with it and I was mad at God because he hadn't healed him but one by one, I took time to choose to forgive. And I know that may sound funny to you, but I needed to forgive him for leaving me, even though he had no choice. There was something about just, because forgiveness sets our heart free. We cannot change our circumstances at times. But forgiveness is something you do for yourself. And, you know, I... That is one, I think one anger, it can be a red flag of unforgiveness or really fear. And I think there was a fear of the future I was struggling with. There was a anger because I didn't want to be in this situation. And I had to deal with things I didn't want to deal with. But in that place, I had a choice of what was I going to do with that. And for me, I just, and I needed to forgive God. I remember praying a prayer that sounded so funny. I was like, Lord, I know you're God. I know you don't make mistakes, but I'm mad and I'm angry. But I choose to forgive you. Not that God needed my forgiveness, but my heart needed that to be set free. So what are some feelings and behaviors of someone grieving. This was our family. This is my late husband, and I've got two six foot four redheaded boys, and that's one of my daughter in laws, and my daughter is right next to me. Um, but what are some of the feelings of someone? And I think this is important to understand because you may be around people going forward, but also this, and you may be able to identify some of the stages of grief or the feelings of grief or say that person must really be grieving and struggling right now but also for your to understand yourself but some some of the feelings and behaviors of grieving people are sadness sorrow anger guilt confusion Forgetfulness. And I want to stop at forgetfulness because I was 49 um, and I was an executive director at that time. I was managing a lot of things, but all of a sudden I began to get real forgetful. 
and and that bothered me. I thought, am I losing my mind? I really did. I thought, maybe, what is wrong with me? Why can't I remember that? Oh I, my gosh, I can't forget, believe I forgot that. You know, stuff that normally, and I was talking to somebody about it, and they said, that's just part of grief. Because your heart is distracted, in a sense, or your mind is distracted. Your subconsciousness distracts that. Don't ask me to explain the mechanics of it. <laughs> But it is a part. And the more I began to talk to other people about the grief process, I found that. But confusion, forgetfulness, things we can normally handle, we cannot. And thirst. Do you know there's scriptures, several scriptures in the Bible that talk about how David said his bones ached, his bones groaned, his bones were dry. And I'm telling you, especially when you're coming up on anniversaries or whatever it is that might trigger your grief, thirst is a real symptom. You, may, you need to drink more water. It's good for you when you're grieving. Um, but that can be something. And not sleeping well. That's another thing, too. Or no appetite. But let these things be just an encouragement to you of, hey, I need to deal, I need to take a little bit of me time and deal with some things that are going on in my heart. Let them be a good thing. To, and a little note to self, I need to embrace a little bit of this versus being a, oh my word, you know, here we go again. And grief can be like a wave. You know, that's one thing, it's so hard because it can hit you from behind, and just like if you were down on the beach, um, a wave and you're, you know, looking, enjoying the sun, and you're, you're out there in the waves, and then all of a sudden a big one that you didn't see coming hits you and knocks you down, you're going under the water, you're kind of gasping for breath. Um, the undertow is pulling you under, and grief very much reminds me of just waves that hit. And one day you can be just fine, but then the other day you're all upset again. You know, there could be days that, that as things went on, but even down, down the road. Um, I remember Joe was gone in, in October, and I remember January rolled around, and we had always gotten together with certain friends. We'd always gotten together with friends to, to do something, and they were going dancing, and so they didn't invite me this time, that year, because I didn't have a dance partner. And all of a sudden, a great big wave of grief hit me. I didn't choose for him to go, but he did, but it changed my life. Do you see the correlation? And all of you in, are in different places, but that wave can hit, and... Oftentimes it feels like we're not making progress and can make it. I remember feeling like, oh my word, I'm not getting anywhere. And I so desperately wanted to go forward. But when that wave tumbles you, process it, get back up and keep on in the journey. But don't be discouraged. Don't feel like you're not making progress. Um, one of the things that I tell widows when I work with them, um, and we're getting through that first year, when we get to the first year, I tell them, 
I don't really want to tell you this, but I'm going to because I care for your heart. That second year can be harder. And they look at me. In fact, one friend <laughs> later confessed. She's like, I was really upset with you for telling me that. And, but she knew I loved her. And she said, but I'm so glad you did because you were so right. And I would have thought that whole year that I went through the first this, the first that, the first this, that I would have felt like it was all for nothing. But what happens is people around you think once you get through the first year, you should be over it all. Well, I, you don't get over, for me, you don't get over a 33-year relationship in a year, if it's a good one and meaningful one. And I want, I want to tell you this, grief is the price of love. Grief, and that's worth writing down, grief is the price of love. And in my journey, as people would come up, and some days they could ask, you know, they could, we could talk about it. Um, it was not that big of a deal. And then another time, you know, that wave could hit. But I got very comfortable at saying, if I begin to cry, because usually other people would get more uncomfortable with my tears, or anybody else's tears. People are uncomfortable, they don't know what to do, they can't fix it. But I got to where I would just look at them and say, you did nothing wrong. I've had a great loss and I have something to cry about. And I think oftentimes we can discount our own grief. But you can say that just to make, if the wave hits you in the grocery store, some whatever happens in that just be honest with people it's not their fault that you're crying they didn't do it they just touched a plane a place that's sore i had a little cyst taken off of my back and so it's still very tender and someone came up the other day and gave me a good pat on the back you know and i kind of i kind of flinched because it's still tender and that's kind of the way it is when somebody says something or your grief is triggered. It's not, that wasn't that person's fault. They weren't trying to hurt me, but they touched a sensitive part, a spot on my, on my person. But grief is the price of love. What are some challenges of grief? Man, there's some challenges in it. Well, number one, and this was my number one. <laughs> this was what I put as, not that these are in order of one, one's more than the other, but it's exhausting. So be patient with yourself. It's exhausting. You're going to have to give yourself grace. It's exhausting. So be kind to you and be patient with yourself. Number two, People that have not been through it will probably not understand you. And they can judge you. That's a challenge. When you don't feel understood by people around you, if they haven't been through it, they just don't know. And they can make a wrong assumption about how you should feel or how you should be doing. And you know, I got to where there'd be times I had no words because if I said words, they would not be nice. 
And there were, I remember being one day in, in church and someone said something that was just so wrong. And I just had to, I just smiled and walked away and I just had to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This was a younger person. She had not experienced any grief. She did not know. But later on down the road, you know what? She did experience a grief and had several miscarriages, but I was able to pray with her and love her. But if I had held that bitterness and unforgiveness because she said something that she just didn't know, you know, and sometimes people can be so insensitive, but forgiveness is going to be your best friend. And some, many times people don't know what to say or do, so they do nothing, and that hurts even more. They may not ask, how is your heart today? Or how are you feeling? Or they just pretend it didn't happen. And sometimes that can hurt even more. And they can say crazy things. I remember losing a babe, the baby I lost. I remember a lady coming up to me and saying, well, you've got three kids and you can still have another baby. Well, I wanted the baby I lost. I didn't just want another baby. My three kids didn't replace the one that I lost. My mama heart had already engaged once I knew I was pregnant, which was a shock because we had tried for six years and nothing had happened. And then all of a sudden, when my oldest son was a junior in high school, I'm pregnant, you know? And, um, so, you know, there was that insensitivity from people. And then I would have other people say, you know, because I was a young widow. Well, you're young. You can find another man. At that point, I didn't want another man. I wanted the one I lost. You know, I eventually got to where, okay, I think I'm ready to move on. And was fortunate to have found another good man. But those kinds of things can hurt. And grief is emotional pain. And just like physical pain takes time to heal, emotional pain takes time too. And um, I had, I had, I've had some several surgeries in my life. I've had a foot surgery. I've, I've had surgery on my finger. Um, and that, those procedures did not take long—30 minutes, an hour to fix. But the healing process took a while. It took my finger a long time to heal. I had to wear a brace. It took, when I went back for my one-month post-op, he said, now, it's going to be at least six months before you're going to be. I was like, six months? I just, to me, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. But that was part of the healing process. And it's that same thing with emotional pain. We sometimes want to rush the healing and... That's not a good, that's not a good thing. And another challenge of grief is when it hits, it can trigger anxiety. Can trigger anxiety. I had a friend call and um, she said, Kathleen, she said, you know me well. She's one of these get to the point girls. I said, yes, I do. And she said, I don't know what's wrong with me. And I said, okay. She said, you know, I'm not a fear-based person. I said, yeah. 
I, I wouldn't think you are, you know, I've never seen you in that. We've been friends for decades. And she said, but something is wrong with me. I feel so anxious all the time. Um, would you go check? I think there's somebody that's coming late. I want them to know where they're supposed to go. Thank you. And um, um, she said, I'm so anxious. And I listened to her just tell me some several scenarios that had happened and about her anxiety, and it was not like her. It was out of character. It was very out of character for her. But I suddenly remembered she had lost her mom about two months before that. And so I waited until she, she was able to just take a breath and breathe a little bit. And I said, you know, what's going on with you is this is grief. I said, you've been so busy wrapping up your mom's affairs. You've been so busy taking care of everything. Um, Laura, would you mind getting her a packet? Yes, yes thank you. Um, and I said, it's, your, it's, it's grief. But grief can make you anxious. It can trigger an anxiety. And here's why. Because when there is a sudden change, when like what has happened here in Uvalde, when there's a sudden loss, when we lose someone, we are really face to face with, we don't have control over anything in life. We are, we, there are just some things we're not going to be able to control in our life. And so if you're struggling with anxiety, it's a real part of grief. And yet, um, there is hope. Do you know the Bible? It's 360-something times it says, Do not fear, do not be afraid. And I think the Lord gave us one for every day <laughs> of the year because He knows some things we face are scary. But when you're going through grief, and you may deal, be dealing with more, some more anxiety, um, I do have a podcast, which is a huge part of my testimony about freedom from fear. I had a lot of fears. I can't go into it now, but it's a, I'm happy to send it to you if, you if you request it. Or you can go to my podcast, which is Kathleen Maxwell Ramby on Apple or KathleenMaxwellRamby.podbean.com. And there's cards. It's on my cards. And, and how to access the podcast. But I have several that talk, several podcasts that talk about anxiety and talk about fear and talk about um, freedom from it. So another challenge in the grief process is we can get stuck if we focus on the why instead of the what. One of the things I learned in the slow process of watching my mother slowly slip away was I wrestled a lot with the why question with mother. And when my husband, late husband got sick, I didn't. And I said, my mom taught me more in her dying than she did in her living in some ways because she prepared me in a great way for what I went through when I was 49. But if we stay focused on the why, you know, for me, why did I lose that baby? Maybe I should have done this. Maybe I shouldn't have done this. Maybe that had, I mean, my, your mind goes all over the place. 
if I'd only made my husband wear more sunscreen, you know, uh, you, can, you can blame yourself, you can get stuck on the why, but ask God what? God, what do you want to work in me and what do you want to work out of me? And the other challenge of grief is an inability to concentrate. There's an inability at times to concentrate because emotionally you're somewhere else. And I could be standing there looking at somebody, watching their lips move, and then walk away and thought, I don't know what, what on earth they said, because I might be looking at them, but my mind or my heart was someplace else. And so there's an inability, there can be an inability to concentrate. So I make you aware of these things to just let you know if you're having some of these, they're normal. They can be just signs you need to process a little more, but let them be just a little flag. Hey, we might need to do this and you're not going crazy and you're not, it's just part of that process. And grief can make you feel all alone. Grief is lonely. It can be all alone because you can make you feel all alone, but God understands our grief. I felt so lonely when I was widowed because I wasn't a couple and married life was all I had known. I'd been married longer than I hadn't been married. Um, and that's another grief that I didn't even bring up. I have friends that are single and in their 40s, they've never been married, and that's a great desire for them. And I see the grief of just not finding that, that person they want to spend the rest of their life. I didn't bring that one up. But grief can make you feel lonely. But God understands. Isaiah 61, and I want to read this to you, one of my favorite passages because there's promises in there here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He sent me, this is a foretelling of Jesus coming, He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives in the opening of prison to those that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. And to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes. That's a promise you can hang on to. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they might be called trees of righteousness, the planted of the Lord. Right there in that passage, Psalms, Isaiah 61. It says that, and I clung to that. God, bind up my broken heart. Heal my broken heart. That can be your prayer too. And he promises to give beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. <clears throat> God understands. Psalm 6, 6 and 7 says, I'm worn out from groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. So there are many that have gone before us that understand grief and they put it in the Bible so that we could have something to hang on to. <clears throat> and, and then, um, 
Then there's John 14, 18, 26, and 27. He understands, God understands so much, he sent Jesus and the Holy Spirit to help us. It says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring things to your remembrance that I've said to you. That was a real comfort because I was so forgetful in grief. I was like, okay, Lord, remind me where my keys are. Remind me of that. That was a promise. Um, so what are some ways to say goodbye? <clears throat> what are some ways? Well, <clears throat> we say goodbye to bring peace to our hearts. You say goodbye to bring peace to your heart. And I think that's the goal of all of us. We don't want our hearts to stay in a place. We, grief is a part of life here on earth, but we say goodbye and we let go because we want peace in our own hearts. And one of my prayers um, in the morning was, Lord, show me what I need to let go of today, just today because I had to take one day at a time. If I looked at everything I needed to let go of, it was way too much. But I could handle, and sometimes it was an hour. You know, what do I need to let, just show me today. And it was little things. There's so many little things in our life when you've had a loss, a sudden change, a disappointment. All of these things can cause grief. But we say goodbye in order to move on. And your loved one, whatever it is you've lost, your job, your whatever, it deserves a goodbye. It needs, deserves to be honored with a goodbye. And sometimes we just need to take time and say, you know, that's a death of a dream and I can see it's not going to happen. But Lord, I choose to give it to you and let go. Otherwise, we can stay sad, stuck, depressed. And that's not what I feel like God has for us because it tells us in John 10, 10 that Jesus came so we could have life and life abundantly. Embracing the pain doesn't sound fun, but it's how we grow and how we process. And crying and pouring out your heart is one of the ways you can let go. I remember taking a day <clears throat> and just going and sitting by the river and journaling. And I had kind of made a list. And I thought, I really, I need to let go of this. I can't today. I'm just not ready. And that's okay. That's okay. I just wasn't ready at that point. And you can even pray, Lord, make me ready. But I needed some time where I could pour out my heart uninterrupted by myself, let it out. And I did that different ways. In some ways, I, would, I remember sitting on that riverbank and just saying goodbye. Okay, I say goodbye to this. Other times, I wrote a letter to the person, to the season, to the baby I lost. I've still got in the journal. One day I sat down and wrote a letter to that baby. You know, these were my dreams for you. I miss being pregnant with you. I miss, you know, right now you would be, you know, so many months. Um, I don't remember the exact time at this point. 
But writing a letter can be, can be a way of letting go and processing, processing our pain. I remember my grandfather was one of the first um, griefs in my life. I was a woman in my 20s when he died. And one day I was standing in my pantry and I was just eating. I was like just eating potato chips or something that I wouldn't normally do. And all of a sudden I stopped and I thought, what is wrong with me? My kids have gone to school. I'd just taken the last one or the baby to Mother's Day out. And my others were in school and I had a day, which was unusual for me, all by myself. And I found myself just eating. You know what I was doing? I was feeding my pain. And I broke down and started crying. And as I sat in the chair and just said, Lord, what is wrong with me? I just felt like it was time to write it. It was the death of my grandfather and I needed to tell him goodbye. And I needed to just tell him what I loved about him and tell him what I missed about him and what I was gonna miss in the future. But writing a letter can be a good way to pour out your heart. And um, when those memories trigger, sometimes it can just be a verbal thing. I remember the first time I remember driving to my son's graduation from college and all of a sudden this wave of grief hit me because I think, man, his dad should be here. You know, man, this young man needs his dad and he's not here. And this is something we should be going together to. But I had to let go of that. And I had at that point to just say, you know, Lord, I let go of that, of that um, dream that I had that we should be sharing this together. And then another way we can, forg- we can grieve our losses is choose to forgive. And it can be the person for dying or the person for leaving you. Um, it could be a spouse that maybe divorced you or was unfaithful. That's another. There's so many griefs in life. But forgiveness keeps our hearts soft. And choosing to forgive and asking God to change our heart became one of my best friends. As I would say, you know, Lord, I don't even feel like forgiving, but your word says to do it. And I want to obey your word. So, Lord, change my heart and give me those feelings. And the Lord, I can tell you, was faithful to do that. And another one of my prayers when I would notice grief is, Lord, this still hurts. Lord, I open my heart and ask you to touch it. Lord, this still hurts. And, you know, that is short and simple. I didn't have to kneel to pray. Sometimes that could be driving down the road. And sometimes that could be, I'd come out of the grocery store and I'd seen a couple holding hands. You know, those little things that could trigger it. And all I would say is, Lord, this still hurts. You know, my heart. I would just put my hand on my heart. But these are just some different ways to say goodbye. Um, I'm sure there might be others. But here's the promise that I want to leave with you or I want to tell you about. is in Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 5. It says, He was despised and rejected by men. This was Jesus. A man of sorrow 
and familiar with our suffering. And then it says, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrow. Isn't that neat? And I think there's that place of where you can give your sorrow to the Lord and say, Lord, this is too big for me. I need you to carry it. I need you to carry it for me. But you might want to, and this is some other effective things, I think, to help you let go and say goodbye, is make a list of what you miss about that person. And admit how you feel. Don't stuff your feelings. Don't deny your feelings. They're your feelings. And tell Jesus what you miss and that you need him to carry the sorrow. And you may have to do this numerous times because what I found in my own life is I would, could do that, but then I might pick it up again. I might pick it up again. But there's still those things. Even when I'm with my grandchildren, my grandkids were just here, and there's still those times because we dreamed of grandkids together. And, you know, I just I have to let go of that dream because I'm like, oh, man, Joe would love to see this. And yet Stephen's the only grandfather of my grandkids. I'm very grateful for him. But Joe and I had those kids together, and I miss sharing those moments with him because they were our kids. Um, but give God, tell God your shattered dream. And then ask him to carry that sorrow and give you new dreams. I literally needed, I came to a place where I was like, Lord, I need you to give me new dreams because all my dreams died of what I thought this season of my life would look like. And so I need you to give me new dreams. I need you to do that. Some important things to know about grief, and I want to go through these. Number one, it's a process and cannot be rushed. It's a process and cannot be rushed. Just because you go out tonight and you know some more things about grief, hopefully, it's still a process. Healing is a process in the natural, and it is in the emotional, too. Number The next one, honor the pain, but don't live in it. I've seen way too many people idolize the grave. They idolize it, and they don't move forward in their life. Honor the pain. Your pain deserves to be honored. But we read in Psalm 23, he walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not our destination. The next thing that is important to know about grief is the greater the love and the relationship, the greater the investment in your life, the process can be longer. My late husband and I had a very integrated life. We did a lot of things together. 
And I've had numerous widows that have said, you know, we didn't have what you all had. And their grief process looked a little different because they really lived separate lives in some ways. Um, the longer and the greater the relationship, the longer the process can, the longer the process can take. I think for some people here with what's gone on in Uvalde, I have only lived here um, or been a part of this community for 10 years. There are people that their parents were, grew up here, their grandparents grew up here, they've grown up here. I'm sad with what's happened in this community. And it, it makes me sad seeing just the town torn apart. But I also know for those that have been lifelong people here, and this is their, this is their turf, it's their place. What's happened does need to be embraced because it is gonna be different here. So that's the difference. I haven't been apart as long as some of you here, but hopefully I can be somebody to take people's hands and help move forward. The most important thing I think is to keep moving through it. I would, that was one of my constant prayers is Lord, don't let me get stuck. Keep me moving through the grief process. And if we don't deal with grief initially, it will resurface later. It will resurface if we don't deal with it. One of my children, um, my youngest, and he's given me permission to share this. It's in the book. But um, when he lost his dad, I thought, man, this ball could roll either way. He's a young man. Dad isn't here. His dad was a huge UT fan. He was going to his, you know, anyway. And I thought he could drop out of college. He could go into drugs. He could go into, you know, God knows what is your mom. You know, again, that anxiety and worry because I was in my own grief. And, um, and I just felt the Lord tell me as I was writing, writing and journaling that day, he said it may be a while before he embraces this and it's got to be okay with you. And so I was like, all right, Lord. <clears throat> he went, graduated from college, did it in four years. Um, wanted to make his dad proud. And about two years after that, he called me one night late, about 11 o'clock at night. I was already in bed. And he said, Mom, can we talk? I said, sure. He said, Mom, do you think I've grieved the loss of Dad? And I said, no, I don't, son, but that's okay. You've had a lot on your plate. You were petroleum engineer. You had a hard major. You know, you, you did it, and then you're trying to figure out a new job and all. I said, but it's okay. You can start now. But it hit him. He was dating a girl that's now his wife. And that was one of the things. He didn't even start some of He missed his dad, yes. He grieved. But do you see he was on such, he had a, hard, a, tough, a tough road ahead of him in a different way than I did. But... It did resurface, even though that's my point. It didn't initially in some ways like it did with me, but it did come up later. So that's the thing. Embrace where you're at right now. The other thing is our feelings can lie to us. 
And here's what I mean by that. Your feelings can lie to you. I'm going to use a couple of examples. Number one, for the women or the men, if you live with a woman, you know that there's that time of the month when something can be a basket, a federal case, and then the next week it's not because our hormones are at a different place. In the grief process, so that's one example of our feelings lying to us. You know, and as a woman, if you ever look back and think, why did I let that upset me that much? It wasn't that big of a deal. Well, you know, your hormones were just a little off. But I felt like my life was over when my husband died. I felt abandoned when my mother cognitively wasn't there and to help me in a time, even though she had no choice. But I felt like my life was over in a sense. But I still had a lot of life ahead of me, but I felt like that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Our feelings can lie to us and tell us your life is over, it'll never, that's what happens in suicide oftentimes. They feel overwhelmed by whatever problem and feel like nothing is worth living for. And it's that depression. I think so much of suicide and those things are unresolved grief. I bet if you sat down with each one and talked to them, and that's why it's important that we process some of these things. The beauty of grief is it can work things into us and work things out of us. And it tells us that all things work together for good. Don't be disillusioned when you're not making progress or when another wave hits. Don't be disillusioned. It's just part of the process. Felt like sometimes I'd take three steps forward, a wave had hit, and I was two steps back. Three steps forward and two steps back. And no experience is exactly alike. And here's something that's very important. You not others are responsible for your healing. You can't look to other people to heal your heart. They may be part of the process, but you can't look. You've got to take responsibility. I have seen widows try to look to their kids to make them happy, look to their kids and expect, have an unreal expectation and that was, that was something, I, my kids were going through their own pain. They were dealing with their own loss of their dad. I couldn't expect them to heal my heart. I had to take responsibility for the process, for my choices, and for how I was going to walk through it. Um, We've already noted that anniversaries can trigger grief either emotionally, either consciously or unconsciously, and are important. So those, an those anniversaries that we've already talked about earlier can trigger. You may not sleep well. You may, you may be more anxious. You may, you know, sometimes um, those things can happen right before one of the anniversaries. Let me encourage you to put off making major decisions during when you're in a deep place of grief. Oftentimes people can make rash decisions that they later regret. And 
it's important to take the pain to Jesus and tell him what we miss so he can carry that grief. So what are the benefits of grief? This is my husband, Stephen, and we are having our 10th anniversary this, the end of October. But what are some of the benefits? And I couldn't look to him to heal my heart either. He's been part of my new life, but it's not fair to look to him to heal, heal my past. And that's reiterating just taking responsibility. But one of the benefits is it can teach us a lot about ourselves and others. Grief can teach us a lot about ourselves. And I learned a lot about myself and living alone. When I was widowed, it was the first time, like I said, I had lived alone and that was lonely, but by golly, all of a sudden, I could do what I want when I wanted. I didn't have to organize my schedule around my husband and my kids and my parents. You know, I could, I could do what I wanted. So it can teach us, too, a lot about ourselves. I learned a lot about myself in that journey. And it also, one of the benefits, grief can show us who we are when we're standing on our own two feet. And I learned to laugh again. I laughed at myself. Sometimes I did some of the craziest things <laughs> um, just in that whole journey of making a new life. One of the benefits I have noticed too is in my life, it developed a deeper compassion in my heart. And grief softens us. I'm much more sensitive to the needs of others than I was before. I ran into a woman a couple of years after I'd lost my husband and we were having a conversation in the grocery store and all of a sudden she stopped and looked at me and she said, you're different. I said, I am? She said, yeah, you're softer. And I said, well, thank you. She said, I noticed a softening to you in, this, in the journey. She said, grief has made you softer. And I got to thinking about it. I thought it is, I'm much more compassionate than I was before. And it's a time of new beginning, and it's a time of new life. And I believe another benefit is it helps us know God better when we partner with Him. When you take His hand and just say, I don't want to be here, it's not what I signed up for, but I'm here. You said you'd take me through the valley of the shadow of death, of my dreams, the valley of the shadow of death. So let's go. Keep me moving through it. But we, I know God in a deep way. I have a confidence now I did not have before. I do. Because I've been through some tough stuff and I've come out on the other side. So I've grown in confidence. And you can too. You know, I remember something that I was facing and, and I, I remember thinking, oh my word. I don't know if I can do this. I just don't know. I was feeling some anxiousness about it. And all of a sudden I stopped and I said, Kathleen, you know, I had to preach to myself. Is this as bad? Is this going to be as bad as watching tumors grow on someone you love? I thought, no. Okay. I can handle it. Okay. I mean, I had, I know that's graphic in a sense, but it's what I had to do as part of moving forward. Um, Okay, so another benefit is, <laughs> is, you know, when you frame things around, when you've been through devastation and loss, 
and you frame it um, in that aspect of what you've been through and you see the goodness and faithfulness of God, it changes your perspective. And I remember thinking one day, I was like, okay, what is the worst that can happen to me? Well, okay, the worst that can happen is I could die. I would be in, with Joe and Jesus, and, well, that wouldn't be bad either. <laughs> and so it gave me a confidence where this something was making me fearful, in a sense. It can be a time of self-discovery. And another benefit is as long as you are breathing, you can start over again. As long as you are breathing, you can start all over again. And you are stronger than you think you are. And you have a God-given right to overcome in this. I have a podcast called um, Living an Overcoming Life. And that was one of the things God showed me is I had a God-given right. There's numerous scriptures about overcoming and he said, you have a God-given right to overcome in this tragedy. And so, you know what? I picked it up and took it. And so what helps and what does not? Um, these are some of my dear friends that, um, that really helped me through that journey. And they were friends for decades before. And my late husband and I were good friends with them. And they welcomed Stephen. I made him go out with us, I would not go out alone with him until he went out with all of us together because I was just a little guarded. I was like, he said, can I take you out? I said, yeah, with my friends. And they were like my big brothers, you know. And so, I, you know, what do y'all think? What do y'all think? And they're like, thumbs up, you know. And so the rest is history. But, uh, but what helps and what does not? Because oftentimes people don't know what to do. People want to talk about what they've lost. So be a good listener. That's helpful. One of the things when I'm working with widows or people that have gone through loss and we're meeting several times, sometimes I say, what do you need today? Because today might be different than last week or the day before. And, you know, sometimes I just needed to talk. I needed someone to be a good listener. And sometimes I just needed to have fun again and and not deal with it so sometimes especially those close to you you know you might feel more freedom to say you know what today i need this and i had some some of these friends were like we've never been widowed we don't know how to do this we need you to teach us and tell us what what to what you need and that really was the best gift ever because it gave me freedom um but be a good listener Sit eye to eye and look people in the eye because that is important. Oftentimes people that are grieving need someone to just sit with them in their pain. Don't say, I know exactly how you feel. You don't know exactly how they feel. I don't know exactly. Um, my friend that's sitting here lost her husband. Those were two different ways. I have some understanding of what she might be feeling or what she felt at that time, but I don't know exactly. So don't say that. That always, I don't know, somehow that kind of felt like it dishonored my own journey. Um, and we already covered this. Don't say things like you'll have another baby. 
you'll get another husband. Don't say to people in the community of Uvalde, you'll, you know, well, you can have another child. No, they're missing the one they lost, the one that was taken from them. Um, offer specific things to help. Though when people offered specific things, it was so helpful. I had someone call and say, Kathleen, I'm sending my yard man over the, last, the next three months. It was the best gift ever. People want to help genuinely, and they'll say, let me know what I can do. Well, I got to where I started keeping a little journal because sometimes I couldn't think in that moment, but I would say, I'll text you. Let me, and I would think of what is their skill set, what are they good at, what would fit into there. People want to genuinely help, I think. Um, but specific things. I had one man that was one of my husband's classmates call me up and said, hey, I just chopped a bunch of wood. Can I bring it over and put it on your porch? You know, it was such a huge gift to me because it was something that my husband would take care of. Um, honor the anniversary. Honor the anniversary. Put a reminder in your phone of the anniversary. Call them. Send them a valentine. But honor the anniversary. Maybe it's the anniversary of the death. Maybe it's their wedding anniversary. Maybe it's the birthday of the child. Maybe it's the day they lost the child. You know, you might plug that in if there's someone close to you. And what are keys to thriving in grief? Your heartache can be a stepping stone. Well, number one, let go daily and weekly. Let go daily and weekly. Sometimes I'd say, Lord, what do I need to let go of today? What do I need to let go of this week? Number two, be patient with yourself. That's a key to thriving. You want to keep moving, you got to be patient with yourself. You want to run ahead, you don't probably have the strength if your heart is in a deep grief. You have to pace yourself. Number three, let the tears roll. Don't hold them in. I know for me, I didn't like to cry. I certainly didn't like to cry in public. But I got comfortable with it when I realized, you know what, I have a, had a great loss, so it's okay. I didn't need to walk around in tears all day, every day. I didn't want to. Crying is exhausting. But if that happens, let them roll, because they're cleansing. <coughs> and ask the Lord to reveal truth to you. Anywhere that your feelings have lied to you. Ask the Lord to reveal truth to you. Anywhere your feelings have lied to you. Number five, keep a notebook of key information, a phone log, because you're just more forgetful. My best friend was a yellow spiral notebook. I could put sticky notes in it if I was out and about. I could go back and say, oh, okay, what date was it that I talked to that person? Who did I talk to? That's the one I want to talk to again because I don't want to have to go through the story. You know, there were so many things you deal with after a, a death or a loss or, 
you know, and just helping them, helping some of the families navigate. Um, and, and I do want to say, you know, uh, uh, the um, Resiliency Center um, is doing some neat things. There's other organizations that are doing some neat things, but they, they, they partnered to sponsor this just to bring hope and healing to different families. Um, the next thing is, so keep a notebook, but understand that people will move on in their life, but your heart may still be hurting. Understand that other people will move on in life, but your heart may still be hurting. And balance is the big key. I had, it was a very tight, I was talking to someone even today about just, it's a tight rope that I walked, I felt like. I had to spend some time letting go and grieving, but I didn't need to spend all day every day doing that. I had to work. I was a single mom with a child in college I was responsible for. I had to work, but it didn't do me any good to pour. I could work 10 and 12 hour days, but that wasn't healthy. I had to keep a balance. I had to deal with some just stuff, death certificates, investments, life adjustments, paying all the bills, you know, cleaning out the house and those kinds of things. But I didn't need to spend all my time doing that. I had to balance. So balance is a big key. And then two, doing the things that are deposits in your emotional bank. And different personalities need different things. Whatever is a deposit in your emotional bank. For some, it might be, you know, I have a friend that's a good reader. And just to crawl up and have time by herself to read for an hour or two is a deposit in her bank. For me, I'm more of a people person, going to lunch with a friend. Um, those things are deposits in my emotional bank. Keeping a balanced diet and exercise is important. And another important thing is one day at a time. Don't look too far ahead because it's overwhelming. And don't look back all the time. If I looked at everything I lost, it's like trying to move forward. I would stumble, I would fall. I couldn't walk if I had to walk to get out of this building, but I was looking backwards the whole time. I wouldn't do very well. You can't look backwards at all. You've lost all, your t all the time. But to look ahead all the time at the, f the unknown can be overwhelming and the future. You know, to think of life without my late husband and a whole life or, you know, what was left of my life was just overwhelming. But if I looked at just what step do I need to take today, what do I need to do today, that was bite size for me. So one step at a time. And ask God to help you reframe things. Help him. One of my prayers was, Lord, help me to see things from your perspective. I feel like my life is over. And one of the things God showed me one day is he said, you have a lot of adventure ahead of you, Kathleen. This is hard. I know where you're at. We're going to keep moving through it, but you have a lot of adventure. And I will tell you, I have had a lot of adventure <laughs> in my life. Those of you that know my husband, I've learned to hunt. I've learned to fish. I've, learned, I've done stuff I would never imagine. 
but um, adjust your lens. Ask God to adjust your lens. And we must be willing to try new things and be open. I had to step out of my comfort zone. Dating at 50, in my 50s, looked quite a bit different and looked scary than it did when I was 18, 19 years old. But we, you have to step out of your comfort zone and you have to be willing to try new things and hang on to hope in the dark days. I kept telling myself, this is only a season. This is not the rest of my life. It felt like it was forever, but it was only a season. And step out. Make plans with people. Um, initiate connection. Don't just wait for them to call you. That's isolation that increases the loneliness. So step out. Make connections. Invite someone to go to dinner with you. Um, invite someone to do something that you enjoy doing. And another key I found to thriving through grief is you have a God-given right to be healed. Because of Jesus died on the cross, you have a God-given right to be healed. And pray for grief to have a good work in you. And ask God to help you not get stuck. Another big key is choose to live with the questions. Just choose to live with the questions that you don't have answers for. Choose to live with the questions and get help when you need it. Get help. You've all got my card, my email. Um, Sometimes you might just need somebody to pray with you, encourage you. There's bereavement centers here um, that are available. There's grief counseling available. Um, I always look for somebody that was not stuck. Somebody that was living life again beyond their loss. And I think that's important. But get help when you need it and hang on to hope. Let hope anchor your soul. Let hope anchor your soul. Um, and with the holidays, I want to just make a quick little blurb. And I know y'all done wonderful taking notes. And I know we want to wrap this up. But sometimes when you're facing the holidays, they can be difficult because so many memories are tied so many memories are tied to holidays. And you don't really feel, your heart doesn't really feel like celebrating. I think as we approach the holiday season, more of the reality is going to hit the community of Uvalde. More of the reality of what has happened is going to hit. And you just don't, I don't feel like celebrating during that time, but... It was important to make new memories. And so the first year that my husband was gone, the kids said, Mom, we don't want to come home. And that was devastating because I 
love being a mom. I created my home to be a place that everybody wanted to congregate and they didn't want to come home. So we went, we went out of the country. We did something different to celebrate that year. And we built new memories. Um, remember that the holidays can be more difficult because you're more exhausted than normal. And that takes away your ability to say, I really want to celebrate. And everyone may be rejoicing and singing and celebrating, but your heart's just not there. And I know for me, I felt vulnerable during the holiday season. I love the holidays, but I think you have to build new memories and you definitely have to pace yourself. I couldn't go to all the parties that I went to in the past. I did not have the capacity and energy because I was working full time and my heart was dealing with the emotional pain that it was then. And the day of the holidays, and I'm going to do and talk more about this. I'm going to do another seminar in November. But take some time that day to honor your loved one. Honor what you've lost. And it may either be alone or with the family. You may, just may need private, a private moment. Or you might want to just buy an ornament and just you hang it on the tree. Just to commemorate your loss. And even at that time, give yourself permission to cry. You know, on Christmas Day, you might have to excuse yourself and just go to the bathroom for a minute or walk outside of the family gathering and just have your moment. And that's okay. If that happens, use your words and just tell people, I'm okay, I'm just having a moment. I'm just missing. Whatever it is you're missing. But allow yourself some private time to process on holidays as you think, as you reflect at what you thought this time would be, of what you expected to do. And if you don't have some plans, make some. Sometimes the holidays can be so lonely if we're all by ourselves. There are many promises that I've written down in the book um, that are God's promises for us in our grief. I don't have time to go over all of them, but there are many promises that are in God's Word. Psalm 126, 5, to those who sow in tears, they'll reap in joy. Another one is, we have already talked about Isaiah, how he binds up the brokenhearted. And 2 Corinthians is one of my favorites, 12.9. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And you may feel weak. None of us like feeling weak. We just don't, I don't think. But his power is made perfect when we're at our weakest. Psalm 149 says he sustains the fatherless and the widow. That's another promise. There are many in the book, and um, I just want to close and pray a blessing over you. Lord, I lift up each one listening. I lift up 
each heart, Lord, that is broken right now. And Lord, I thank you for your promise to bind up the brokenhearted. And I ask that your Holy Spirit come and that people feel the comforter, the great comforter. Lord, show each person what they need to do, the next step they need to take. And Lord, remind them of the tools they've gleaned that are in their tool belt to pick them up and take them. And Lord, most important, I ask for each one listening that you keep them moving through the valley of the shadow of death, of the disappointments, of the change, of the loss. I pray for each hurting heart here in Uvalde, the families. Lord, that you would bind up their broken hearts. And I just ask your blessing on each one. In Jesus' name, amen.